Hello and welcome to another episode of the E-Reads Podcast. My name is Liz and I'm your host. On today's episode, we are jumping into the world of diversity with Dr. Katherine Hayes. And before we jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about her. So she is an author, speaker, educational consultant, and editor. She's had her hands in leadership for many years. She loves speaking to groups and delivering messages with a quick wit and real life stories. Dr. Catherine is a freelance writer, a content editor slash writing coach for Iron Street Media, and sensitivity reader for Sensitivity Between the Lines. She is a reviewed board member and contributor to Inspirations, an online magazine for Christian writers, and her writing has been published in Guidepost. Her work has been distinguished by many, many awards. So now that you know a little bit about her, let's jump right into the episode so we can learn how we can promote and be inclusive in the world of literature. Dr. Katherine Hayes, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be here, Liz. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. And um, to welcome folks to the show, I like to start by asking them what I like to call a bookish question, which is something about books or reading related. So the one that I have for you is, oh, I didn't write one down. So ooh, off the top of my head, mm-hmm. I would like to know, okay, with, mm, no, I'll go with this. What snack most is similar to like your book or a book that you like. So if you had to summarize your book in the form of a snack, what would it be? Okay. So for the, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to think my thriller, my, my debut thriller, a snack would be a charcuterie board. It would Ooh. definitely have, yeah, pepper dry salami. Um, it would have, um, Gouda cheese on there. There would be Ooh. some, yeah, be some pepper jack. <laughs> Lots of pepper, as you can this see. Is a pepper pepper I, I jelly. Yeah. <laughs> there would be uh, blue cheese stuffed um, olives. There would be black olives. Um, there would be water crackers. Um, yeah, all that. All that good stuff. Grapes. There we go. Okay. So a nice bottle of wine. Okay. <laughs> so now you got to tell us about your debut novel. Uh, what is your debut novel about? Please tell us more. Yeah. So my debut novel is called A Fifth of the Story. Hmm. And it comes out February 27th of 2024. It's published by Endgame Press. Mm-hmm. And um, that book, the premise is... You know, people always say there are three sides to a story or yeah, they're, they're say, they're say there are two sides to a story or three sides sometimes. Right. Um, and so my premise is, okay, so if an incident happens, there's my side, there's your side, there are the facts, um, there are what other people see and think, and then there's what God sees. And the premise of this novel is you know, if we live for that one fifth of what God sees and what he thinks about it, then we will have a good life. Mm. That's the premise. And and then the other premise that it, it addresses are real concerning issues such as breaches in our intelligence agencies and the um, rise of an, um, anti-Semitism and also... Mm. 
the um, rise of white supremacy right. and the dangers it poses to our country and the, the rise of nationalism and how how potently dangerous that is. <laughs> oh my goodness. So a charcuterie board definitely brings all that together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, please, Dr. Um, Catherine, please share. How, how did this start out for you, right? Like, have you always been an author? How did this journey start for you? Yeah. Well, in high school, I, I did have an English teacher. I could just see his face right now um, who, who really believed in me. And he thought I should be published. And I, you know, and so he, he had exposed me to authors who were really young at the time. And um, I, that dream uh, fizzled away because I was in New York at the time. And I was trying to chase a career as an author and it was like being an actress. And so I, I would have to get other jobs to, um, you know, uh, try to, <laughs> to live off of my right. writing income. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to another and I, I ended up going into education and not that that's a whole lot better, but I then became an administrator and where the that's if you want to make money in education you have to go into leadership. So I was on track to become uh superintendent probably at, at, at that's what my doctorate is in it is in that kind of leadership, you know, at the university mm-hmm. level or a superintendent, you know, or, or school administration. I was enjoying um being a principal. And um I took a, a sabbatical. I had gotten ill after having my last child and my husband was deployed all the time. And so as an experiment, we this this was supposed to be like a six month thing. Mm-hmm. My husband and I had, had agreed that I was going to pursue publication and writing and, and just seeing what that where that would lead. Well, it turned into a, like a over over 10 years of <laughs> working toward that. That, really? Yeah. And I, and I just never, I never went, I kept on thinking I'm going back this year. I kept on looking up, you know, uh, job advertisements. I kept on thinking, okay, I'm going to go back as a principal, or I'm going to go back to the university. Cause I was a guest lecturer for my old, my former doctoral program. I'm going to go back. And I just, more doors kept on opening for me in the publishing industry. Mm. And uh, yeah. And one thing led to another. Now I work, full-time as a freelance editor. I work for a a traditional publishing company as a book coach and an editor, and I have my own string of clients. And then I'm on the speaking circuit for um, a few um, writing conferences. Oh my gosh, that is definitely an interesting transitioning career path. Mm -hmm. Um, And in in that journey, I know today we're talking a lot about diversity in publishing. And Mm -hmm. can you share... What has that experience been as far as um, diversity? Like, it, has it changed over mm-hmm. over your your career? Uh, <laughs> what are you noticing? Yeah. So, um, okay. So, I started out in the um, Christian publishing realm, and I'm still there. Um, but I think it's important for. Christians to occupy secular spaces. You know, you, we can't just be beacons of light shining at each other. We've got to get out there. Yeah. So, um, what, what's disparaging to me is that 
the Christian publishing industry is very is 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 not much different from the secular pu- publishing mm-hmm. industry, whereas there there is very little diversity, and there may people may feel as if there there is diversity, but it's not as much as they think. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, like ninety, just in terms of um, U.S. book publishing, ninety five percent of American fiction books published were written by white authors, and that is between 1950 and yeah. 2018. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah, and after George Floyd, there was a slight uptick in diversity. But since then, it's sort of fizzled out. You know, sometimes when, th- when b- big things happen, there's this uh, knee-jerk reaction and people are like, oh, yeah, we're going to get on board and right. we're going to change things around. And then when things go back to status quo, um, that hope is is lost. Mm. And, and what's really frightening, um, uh, f- like, for instance, um, as of 2020, 75 percent of of um, people in the industry claimed right that their employer had made some kind of increase. Mm-hmm. or effort to increase diversity. But despite that, um, still not much has changed in 2023. I think 1%, um, there's been like a 1% increase wow. in that sort of diversity. Mm-hmm. And this is just combing through lots of research because my, I love research and I'd, yeah. I'd like to speak from a a, a, a a place of fact finding and just not making up stuff mm. off the top of my head. These are easily things that people can go and research for themselves. If right. they think, Oh, this America's exploding with book diversity. They will find out that even the children's books, because there's a call there, there's a real need for diversity in children's literature. Mm-hmm. Most of the books written about diversity and about diverse people are written by non-diverse people. Let me That's tell you. crazy. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I just literally before this was scrolling and I saw there was a video about that and it was like, it had a picture of a a children's book with an African-American child or a Mm -hmm. a child of color. And then the author is white and Mm -hmm. like it was multiple, multiple, multiple books. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's important too, to the conversation is like when there's a call for diversity, we mean also the people that put out the product (laughs) and the work. We're not just talking about products for, you know, people of color. We're talking about like made by, so that way, again, like 
we're also seeing that growth. And I think yeah. there sometimes is that disconnect. Yeah. And that, that would call for um, diversity at the top level. Right. So we have the gatekeepers, you know, we have agents, most people, if they want to be traditionally published, then you usually will have to get an agent. Not mm-hmm. all the time. There is a, there's a small percentage that can sneak in <laughs> some other way. Um, and then there are the um, pub boards, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, a pub board has to vote on your book. Mm-hmm. So the, so, so one, you gotta, you have to get an agent, which sometimes is more difficult than getting a publishing contract. Right. I know I've been through it <clears throat> and I've been, I deal with a lot of authors. So there's that. So, and then, so now that you you get to this, this other level, just think when you're at, when you're at the um, pub board level, you still have the majority white um, looking at your project to decide if they're going to publish it or not. So there are many gatekeepers. And the problem with that is even if someone who is non-diverse, right. And they're trying to get a book published that's about diverse characters. This is the problem that's happening is in there, there are books that are coming through that are stereotypical. They're not representing uh, diverse people correctly. They're not vetted because no one is there to vet them. I don't know if that, if if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. Uh, Cause it mm -hmm. also makes me think of, right. Like when being traditionally published, right. They kind of have a lot of control. So if Mm -hmm. you have a, a story or characters that, are we'll say more diverse they might say this might not read well or you know we need to mm-hmm. make this change and make right. this change and that yeah. takes away from the life and the culture of the book so absolutely that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right exactly yeah <laughs> and so, yeah so to your point i think diversity isn't just the face of the author but it also is like throughout the top right at the top of the publishing within the boards so that there is really this this call of diversity mm-hmm. and and so not even just racial diversity right mm-hmm. um i'm a strong i'm i'm a strong advocate for um disabled people yeah. um people with special needs and especially because I was a school principal for a while and and, an educator. And in fact, the last school that I was a principal of, it was a hub for special needs. Mm. And, um, you know, then I, then you, I, in in researching diversity in terms of, are you hiring people who are disabled? You know, what are are you hiring people who might have an issue with dyslexia Mm -hmm. or who they're in a wheelchair or something like that? They're quite, capable and incredible. One of the smartest young ladies in my doctoral program was dyslexic. So I, I wonder when I looked at the, the, um, the statistics, they were very disappointing. Um, I think it was something like, uh, maybe 3% mm. of, um, individuals who were employed in the publishing industry were, uh, had, were, were described as having a disability. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, just even like you're mentioned, like across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just need, we need the publishing mm-hmm. industry to look like life looks just diverse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me pick your brain and see like, 
how do we fix this? What are things that people can do to encourage um, more diversity? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, hey, you know, write to, to the big five, write to publishing companies and say, I would like to see not only diverse books, but books by diverse people. That would help. Another thing that would help is if, if you are um, a person who's not, not diverse, right? And you want to write about diverse characters, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. But vet your book. Sure. Hire a sensitivity reader. There are reputable companies who can do that for you. I work for a company called Sensitivity Between the Lines. Oh, I wow. highly recommend it. Yeah, it's under the umbrella of a conference um, called um, Blue Ridge um, Blue Ridge Christian Mountain Writers. Con- I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but if you look it up, you'd be able to see Sensitivity Between the Lines. Yeah, and what those readers do it's a form of editing but they don't like to call it that but it's it's a type of um, reading they do where that particular reader has a specific background in whatever that person has written like for so for instance i specialize in things all things holocaust okay Mm. that's just my thing right because my mother you may not know it looking at me but my mother was a descendant of portuguese jews and they ended up in Jamaica escaping persecution. So that's really important to me. So right. I love, I research a lot of, so that's, so all things are Holocaust, um, all things um, civil. I love civil, the civil war movement. I love the, the um, things about slavery, Afro-Caribbean, because my, mm-hmm. my parents were Jamaican. So those things and, you know, uh, African-American females, that's my that's my niche. So I, if I'm going to read something from, um, from that lens, I'm looking to make sure that you are not, you're not embracing stereotypes. They could be subtle, but they're dangerous. Mm. And I'm helping you as an, because it's not something that you have to do, but it's something that it's highly advisable because it will protect you. It will protect the integrity of your project. And it would all, it will also protect you once your book is published. Cause once it's out there in the world, that's it. Yeah. And, and so if you've carefully vetted that book, um, then you, ha- you're much, much less likely to offend your readers and you are much likely to find readers who are going to just love you. They're, they're going to love that you did your research, that you carefully vetted your, your characters, because people who are diverse are going to be like, oh, but she gets us or he gets right. us. That, I, and, and there's nothing better than to feel seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes me think of like, you know, books when you've read and like the characters feel so real because like, mm-hmm. ah, you get it. You didn't just like watch an episode of something and you're like oh this right. is what all this people act like like no like you either lived that experience or you educated yourself and it just adds so much more depth and mm-hmm. it doesn't take you out of the reading like you're there you exactly. understand what's going on so absolutely yeah mm-hmm. um another question for you is in thinking about self-publishing versus traditional publishing, does like self-publishing help the market become more diverse? Should um, diverse authors seek to be published traditionally? Kind of like any thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, actually, 
minorities had no choice but to self-publish because that's how bad um, things were in terms of the gatekeepers. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of authors like, um, gosh, off the top of my head, one is like Carl, Carl Weber. Another is Elin Harris. Um, these are guys who started out like selling books out of the back of their car and stuff, mm. stuff like that. And these were, they became like New York times, bestselling novelists. Uh, they, they ended up flipping the script and ended up getting traditional pop publishing um, contracts and all of that. But that's because the industry had to take notice of them because they were setting up their own book launches. They were um, marketing themselves. They were getting on black radio stations and going in black spaces. And then what happened is the publishing industry is saying, oh, this is a market that we didn't you know, we haven't really right. uh, paid attention to, like we could really profit here. Oh, let me go ahead and get this person a, pu a publishing contract. And that's how it's happened for a, a, a couple of minorities. And so unfortunately, that was the way that many had to go. And, I, and, and I'm also speaking for our other Asian brothers and sisters, our uh, Latin brothers and sisters. And so it's not just African-American, it's across the board. Mm -hmm. And so many, many of them would have to then self-publish. So here's, so the, the cons and pros are, the pros are you have complete um, autonomy over right. your book, over everything, but you also have to absorb the cost of marketing and you have, and it's very expensive to do all of the things that have to do with publishing a book. It can mm -hmm. be daunting. And unfortunately, many people are taken advantage of when it comes to um, publishing. It's sad, but there are very few spaces like that, that places like you offer, like you're offering right. a space for an author to come. There are no strings attached. I have a podcast like that, no strings attached. But so many times people are making money off of aspiring authors or people who are already trying to get established. So that's, that's the, um, that's sort of one side. The negative side is that the market has been flooded because of self-publishing, right? Yeah. And there's, there's so much garbage out there and, and, and it's, it, then it becomes harder to become noticed. And then because of all the garbage out there, self-publishing a book can kind of be, you know, frowned upon yeah, by very stigmatized because right, you stigmatize. not does their due diligence or gets an editor. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. If you're going to do it well by hiring an editor, by hire, by getting a professional graphic artist and putting out a product that's really professional looking and professionally edited and vetted, that's great. But just imagine people just make up stuff off, off the top of their heads. They don't vet anything and they just right. throw it out into the universe. It, it really stigmatizes a lot of the yeah. rest of us. Now, traditional publishing, on the other hand, now what, what that does for you is it shows that you're, you're a credible writer yeah. because you've had to go through all of the, you've had to jump through the hoops, right? You, most of you have had to get a, an agent or you've, you know, or if you're fortunate enough, you've had to, you've been able to get directly to the pub publisher, mm -hmm. which is almost even 
more um <laughs> more of an honor because that's really hard mm-hmm. okay so that is that's one of the pros of being traditionally published and then being traditionally published uh, a publisher is going to take more of an interest in that person they're going to do help you with marketing they're not going to do all your marketing because mm-hmm. in this day and age a lot of you've got to almost be known before the book deal. So that is so true. <laughs> yeah. You've got to build your platform. You can't just think you're going to get a book deal and then build your platform. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Those days are over. So the, those are the pros with traditional publishing. They'll also get your books into places that you may not have been able to get them sure. and maybe get you um, engagements, maybe some, some, uh, some traditional publishers, they even have their own um, published publicists. And mm-hmm. so you'll have a publicist and all of that good stuff. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, one more question in regards to diversity. And then I want to ask you about some of your books. Um, what can people do? Well, a uh, question kind of is, so you have, like we touched on a lot of folks who are, um, we'll say white authors, and they're putting out things about black characters. Mm-hmm. Does that help people of color, writers of color, like how can people really be an ally and really uh, be supportive in this space, if that makes sense? Yeah. So like, like I said earlier, it can be positive if it's done well, if they had, like, there's a book I have over here on my shelf. Well, she's one of my, she is, okay. It's called Small Great Things, Jodi Picoult. That book is about white supremacy. And she writes, because I wanted to see, why did you want to write? Why did you take this upon yourself? Because it's a right. tough book to write. And it, it's a story where she she had the nugget of her. It, it's based on a, a real event, but she fictionalizes the entire story. But the other things that are, that are true is um, all of her fact finding about the rise of white supremacy in our country um, are, they're real. And she mm. has a, uh, she's got a great um, bibliography in there and, and she does a really good job of research. But what she also explains is that she did sensitivity reading. So she had right. African-American, especially yeah. African-American females vet these characters. And I thought she did an incredible job of mm. representing us. Like I did not feel offended. I oh, did not feel funny. like I, yeah, it was, it was not stereotypical. Um, she very much, nailed the black female experience. Oh, I love that. And even the some of the black male experience because there was an issue there was a a, a point there where her son was was about was getting was going to get into trouble. She had gotten into trouble. Um this is her main character. Mm-hmm. Um it was a medical thing and and I don't want to give away the entire story, but um she was able to nail how how black females are seen who who are supposedly in roles of leadership or supposedly intelligent you know you could be a medical professional how our black boys are seen yeah. um, through the lens of the police um, and the things that we fear the experiences that we have the conversations we have behind closed doors she very much got that it was very easy to tell that she was in deep relationship with people of color. And that's, what's important. We, we just ask that if you're going to write about us, know us. Right. Mm, that's a, a really great way to say that. Mm-hmm. A really great way to say that and frame that. Mm-hmm. Um, please share um, 
more well i was really curious about your book it's called god's little black um dress and it looks and it's talking about like femininity and please share a little bit about about this um book that you have out yeah so that that book came out in may of 2016 and that was a real learning experience right so i i piloted that book at a church i was attending at the time and um it was it it did really well in terms of the bible studies the feedback from the the women and i was bringing that book as a proposal and i was pitching it at a writers conference but prior to that there was a family that needed to go to mongolia and i wanted to help fund them because they were short mm-hmm. of their funds so what i did was i and and one of the females her her name is actually Roxanne Lee she's she's an incredible graphic artist. She helped me prepare that project and package it as a book. And I published it on Lulu, which is a, it's like a a self-publishing forum. Right. But it it was done well because I had it, you know, done by a graphic artist and all of that. And we were able to meet a mark between all of the other things that we did, including sell that book. They had the funds to do what they needed to do. I was happy. And then I was on my merry way to this conference thinking all was well with the world. And then then I met with, uh, and this was my first big major um, writers conference since leaving, since taking a sabbatical from school administration. Right. So I go in and I think this is, this is going to, this is going to be great. And the first thing they wanted to know was about my numbers and about the book launch and about what I was like, book launch. I didn't, I didn't do a book launch. I didn't do this. I didn't, I'm like numbers. All I know is I made enough for this, (laughs) these cats to go to Mongolia. And so they were like, yeah, you know, unless you sold, some publishers said, well, unless, or agents said, unless you sold between three to four. Three to five thousand copies. We're not interested. Mm. Some were like eight to ten thousand copies, and I was like, "Oh no, that's that's not what happened." Um, And then one particular agent who was interested in me, he um, went back home and he did his research, and then he sent me a beautifully written um, rejection letter, and he said, "You're you're a great writer. You have a great product, but you have no platform." And he said, for nonfiction, you must have a platform. So it was a learning lesson. And so I I had to learn the the hard work of a building platform. So that that book still passively sells. It's on, you know, barnesandnoble.com. It was in Lifeway for a short bit of time until Lifeway closed. And um, it's on lots of different Amazon is lots, lots of different online forums. And as an editor, now I look at that book and I pick it apart. I know that there are things that I would have done much better. And I think later on, I will do an anniversary edition to that book, but yeah, but the, the heart of that book is still good. And that's why I think it still appeals to women. I wrote it for my daughters and, um, it, it was, it came out of many different conversations I would have with them because they would constantly say, well, mom, you know, the Bible is not really applicable to today's issues and what we're going through and what's happening. Um, it doesn't really speak about, um, 
anything that we're engaged in or we're feeling. And I'm like, yes, it does. Okay. You're okay. Here you talk, it's talking about gender issues. It's talking mm-hmm. about, um, life and conception. It's talking about race issues. It's talk. It's, it's dealing with everything that you have on your hearts. And so in that book, I play on fashion because that was, that's a big, that was a big thing for us girls still is. I mean, and so <laughs> it was um, based on, um, Coco Chanel's little black dress. Mm-hmm. And so there's all types of little antidotes there about all kinds of designers and things that they say, which are fabulous. And just relating the armor of God to like a little black dress that it's suitable for all kinds of occasions. And we can still be women of God, dress for this, this world, dress for battle and still be cute. I love that. And still be hip. Mm -hmm. I love that premise. Um, Please share, where can folks find more of your work? Where can they connect with you? Oh, wow. That's that. I would love to connect. The best place is my website. It's real simple. Um, It's www.drkatherine.com. That's where you find all, all the ways to connect with me. It'll keep you, um, if you sign up for my newsletter or actually just sign up for my e- email, I send out a, a um, free weekly devotional uh, word of encouragement. I work with uh, seven other bloggers on my blog and um, we've got encouragement for you every week and it just keeps you up to date about what we're up to. And it also has information about a podcast I run. I run a podcast called Murder, Mystery and Mayhem Laced with Morality it's featured on Apple and on Spotify and all other places that podcasts are heard. Um, I would love if people would come and, you know, listen in, drop us a comment, leave us a review. If you want to come on the podcast, um, hey, send me an email. I'd love to schedule you. Listen, I cannot wait to binge listen. Um, you have been such a wonderful guest. Um, you've educated us so much on not only the importance of diversity, but how we can take steps to to further this and, and make it known that it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, please, can you share for someone like if they are identifying as a diverse author, whether that's by disability, gender, race, all of that, and they're like, how do I get started, right? Like, I, I see that there's a space here. Mm-hmm. Where do I, I start and break in that glass ceiling? Any, mm-hmm. any words of encouragement or advice for them? Yeah. So I'm a person of hope. Like I, yes, there, I, I see all of the, the, the pitfalls, all of the negativity, all of, all of the obstacles, but you, despite that you can still prosper and you can still be engaged and you can still get published people. Come on. If you don't write and you don't put your stuff out there and chase the market, you, it's not going to happen for you. So the first thing to do is write. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the second thing to do is write well mm-hmm. and, and, and and after you write well, write better. And how you do that is that you've got to get critiqued. You've got to hook up with a writing community, uh, preferably a writing community where they're going to give really good critiques. Mm-hmm. One that I highly recommend, and it is a Christian, um, it's a Christian space, but hey, they love everybody. It's yeah. called Word Weavers International. Mm-hmm. It is one of the best uh, critique groups I've ever, I've ever seen. Um, Word Weavers International. And then the other thing to do is attend writers' conferences. 
there are many ways to do it, especially because of the pandemic. People have really begun begun thinking outside of the box. So right. there are plenty of ways to attend even online. Even if you can't afford to take off from work to attend one of these conferences, you can go online. And if you attend online, many times they're discounted anyway. Absolutely. And they have replay. So if you, you know, like yes. you can't, um, there's so many accessible options now. And again, mm-hmm. uh, they're really affordable. Yeah. Contests, another way to, yeah. to contest. Um, that's another way to build credibility. There are many contests out there even that have entry fees. Some of them are nominal, like five bucks to all the way to maybe a hundred bucks. But if, if you are, if you really don't have it, there are plenty of free ways for you to also enter writers conferences, not writers conferences, but writing con- mm-hmm. contests. And it helps to build credibility. I know cause I am, I can't say now cause I'm in judge season, but I am a judge for a couple of different writing contests. And I know that that opened a lot of doors mm. for authors. Lovely. And I um, haven't even thought about that, but absolutely. We'll have to have you come back and, and talk about that experience. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so very much for, for your time and, and for, for sharing all of your words of wisdom and advice and encouragement. Um, yeah. Any last words before I ask my last question? Well, because I'm a person of hope, my and my tagline is always, don't ever stop using your spoken and written words mm. to pierce through the darkness. Love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> so I'm interested to see what you say next. So my last question is this. I like to end with like a word or a phrase that we can use in like a writing prompt, a way for us to express our creativity. Um, I'll use this as a prompt at the end of this episode. So if you had to leave us with a word or phrase to use in a prompt, what would you leave us with? Oh, that, Oh, I know. Oh, I know what that is. Okay. You author, listen up. (laughs) You were created for such a time as this. So good. So good. All right. I'm just writing that down. You were created for such a time as this. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. You can do so much with that. Yes. <laughs> you could do a scene where this character is feeling defeated that's or, right. you know, just so many things. So listen, y'all stay tuned to the end of this episode to see what I do with that prompt. Um, <laughs> thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day. Mm. Weighed down by the seat of doubt, the waves of every failure crash against her body, making her sink deeper into the blackened hole of despair. Like an anchor, the chains of comparison weigh her down, holding her in place, keeping her from the glimmer of light shining on the horizon. The imposter steps forward, towering over the hero, the writer, the artist, the creative, taunting their paralyzed state. You are nothing, imposter syndrome gloats, rejoicing as the waves rise higher. The waters are now at her chest, making her breath ragged and shallow. Fingers trembling, she can't grasp footing to stop herself from sinking. It's almost over. But then something in the glimmering light steps through. She can't make out what it is, but the voice, the thing, the gesture is kind. It feels like a life vest as it speaks these words. You were created for such a time as this. Something inside her knows this is true. 
knows that within her is everything to weather this torrential current of despair. The imposter flowers and bears its venomous teeth. Don't believe it. You are not worthy of this time, this opportunity, this greatness that lies on the horizon. But the words do not crash as she holds on to the glimmer. The voice shining in the horizon calls again. You were created for such a time as this. She doesn't believe it fully, but it is enough to shine light into the darkness. The anchor lightens and she can feel the waters beneath her sink lower as she stands. I was created for such a time as this, she believes, and the chains snap and fall. The imposter shakes knowing she has her footing and the next time it rises, she will be prepared for its attack. Rising, wet and weathered, she stares into the face of imposter syndrome and says, I was created for such a time as this. The ghastly form of the imposter shrinks and fizzles until all that is left is a puff of darkened smoke that she dispels as she walks through, making her way through muddy ground towards the glimmer of her destiny.